The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Welcome to the Friday program here on Afternoons with Mike. On the line with me right now is Pastor Stephen Broden from Fair Park Bible Fellowship Church, and that is in the Dallas area. I love that area out there. You're the author of Ponds of Change, and I did want to start off by asking you about this. As a pastor, obviously you watch over your congregation, you teach and preach, but you've also sought a different uh, perspective, and that was uh, running for political office in the past. Tell me about that, sir. Right. Uh, At the time I ran for office back in uh, 2010, in election cycle then, uh, the Tea Party was a big movement at the time in America, and there was a, a move to try to be more involved in the political process. And uh, in many instances, they were asking pastors to to be involved, to bring a divine perspective to governance. Um, at the time, I think our religious liberties were in the crosshairs of the uh, liberal left. And uh, the Equality Act was a, an act that was out at the time. And they were trying to amend the civil rights legislation of 1964 Mm -hmm. to include uh, language that would uh, legitimize homosexuality, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, gender fluidity. All of those things were on the table. And there was a need for us to bring a biblical perspective. And I thought at the time that the 30th district needed to have a voice that was representative of our religious liberties and uh, supportive of our constitutional rights and liberties as defined by our founding fathers. And we wanted to bring that back uh, to a, a prominent position in the governance of our nation and policy making. And so I threw my name in the, uh, in the mix uh, to bring that uh, perspective uh, into the uh, dialogue and discourse at the time. Uh, there was a need for us to do that. And I thought that I could bring that perspective into uh, the conversation. And so I, I, I got involved uh, because I saw that there was a need for us to uh, bring those kinds of issues and concerns from a biblical perspective into the public square. And um, we believe that it was not represented at that time uh, to the extent that it could be. And so I saw it to to bring that conversation and that perspective into the into the mix. Well, I admire that about you. Did you get a lot of pushback from your fellow pastors in the area for your desire to be involved in that arena? I, I did to to some extent, um, primarily because I ran as a Republican and not as a Democrat. I, I think if I ran as a Democrat, I would not have gotten any pushback whatsoever. But uh, because I ran as a Republican, it was kind of a resistance uh, to the Republican Party. And the narrative that was created about the Republican Party by the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Um, In many instances, the Republican Party, who they are, what they stand for, is defined by the Democrats. And the Republican Party has not been very 
effective in communicating who they are in the African-American community and minority community, and they have left the definition of who they are to the opposition party. And that's unfortunate uh, because the Republican Party is more than what the Democrats say they are. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they have not been effective in messaging into the community who they are, what they stand for, and why the black community ought to consider their message, consider their platform, as opposed to the Democratic platform. And that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of where things are. And one of the great failures of the Republican Party is to allow that narrative created by the Democrats to go unchecked by themselves or anyone else. You know, I think the big head scratcher for anyone who watches these things and maybe have been watching them for the last, let's say, 20, 25 years, if you go back that far, uh, it, it really is difficult to imagine why things weren't done differently by the Republican Party with their values and with their expressed beliefs. All of this stuff is going on, and it really is a head-scratcher, isn't it? Well, it, it is to some extent, but when one looks at the history and the narrative of what has been taking place in America for uh, for many, many years, it goes back even to the turn of the century that there has been since 1929 a philosopher out of Italy by the name of Antonio Grimsey who postulated that the best way to uh, uh, win America or win in the West is through infiltration and gradualism. And out of the Frankfurt School in Germany in 1929, they came up with what is called cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism is different from economic Marxism in that cultural Marxism identifies the institutions that most influence us and then infiltrate those institutions and to change them from within by a philosophical change. Mm -hmm. And cultural Marxism came to America as political correctness, and they have identified and targeted all of the major institutions that influence us. And today, all of those institutions are under the sway of a, a Marxist socialistic paradigm. And Antonio Grimsey was the one who constructed the method for doing that, and they targeted specifically uh, the uh, Christian influence in America. And right now the church is the last institution that is capitulating to cultural Marxism through political correctness or what is called the doctrine of tolerance. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have been witnessing in America for the last 50 years for sure. It has come to full fruition and has found momentum mm -hmm. uh, here in the last 10 to 15 years. You know, with this kind of a slide, and for as long as this slide has been going on, do you see uh, a way out of this? Do you see through the efforts of people like yourself, people who are currently uh, in Congress, do you see a way that uh, this tide could be corrected? Some people I've interviewed feel that we've crossed the Rubicon. Well, there's still a correction. I, I do believe that uh, if enough Americans wake up and recognize what is happening, and that's the challenge for people like Content of Character series and your program, is to bring information, education, so that we can activate Americans 
to re-engage the founding principles that made this nation great. I think it was Mark Levin in his book titled um, Liberty and Tyranny, and his introduction says that the remedy to tyranny is conservatism precisely because its principles are the founding principles. Mm -hmm. In that statement, he points us back to the founding principle. There are 10 principles that the founders uh, essentially birthed this nation into existence by. Those 10 principles, I believe, if re-engaged, can rescue this republic. What are those 10 principles? Liberty. I'm going to list them for you here. Okay. Liberty, equality, consent of the governed, natural rights, and religious liberty. That's the first five. The next five are equally as important, and that is private property, the rule of law, self-government, constitutionalism, and independence. All 10 of those principles are evident in the structuring and the development of our nation. We have turned away from them. They're not being taught in our schools any longer. And if we re-engage those 10 principles, I believe therein is the rescue for this republic. Mm, that is beautifully said. Can you repeat those 10 one more time? Certainly. Liberty, equality, consent of the governed, natural rights, religious liberty, private property, the rule of law, self-government, constitutionalism, and independence. Mm. All are 10 principles that are were present with our founding fathers. They incorporated them in the construction of our constitution and the construction of what is called um, uh, the Declaration of Right of, mm -hmm. of our liberties. It's, it's right there. Anyone can see them. And when we say liberty, it's, we're not saying freedom. And, and freedom and liberty are different. Liberty is, is freedom with responsibility, it's personal responsibility. When we say equality, we're not saying equity. There's a difference between equity and equality. Equal means equal opportunity. Equity means the same outcome for everybody. And we don't want that. <laughs> That's not what we're looking for. So we need to examine these 10 principles and understand what the founders had in mind when they use those words. They're not the words that the socialists are using. They have substituted equality with equity. They have substituted uh, liberty with freedom. And that those, those words are not the same as the founding fathers use. And so we have a stewardship responsibility to know what these 10 principles are, know what the original intent was for those words, and then incorporate them back into our um, public square and into our educational institutions and what we're teaching our children. That's what will rescue this republic. And those are the principles that are needed in order for us to right the ship of it, government right now. I, I, I love it. I wish, I wish upon wish that that could actually happen and that our universities would be hearing what you're saying. But they are stuck in a quagmire, I believe, of reinventing these words, like you said, they are 
changing them. It's um, some of them actually sound similar, but with a lot different meanings. And one of the chief things that it seems to be lost in so many today, especially in the news media, is the word that you've used a couple of times, the fact that America is a republic. You don't hear it referred to often in the news media as that. It's referred to as a democracy, which would uh, be, be that part of uh, the, like the consent or the majority of the people ruling versus a constitutional republic, which is what our founders made our country to be. There's a big difference in a democracy and a republic, but that seems to be lost as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I think we're not teaching it in our uh, schools. And what we're teaching is um, a, a kind of um, indoctrination of mm-hmm. a ideology <clears throat> that is a is contradictory to what the founding principles are. We are a representative democracy. We elect people to go represent our interest in government, and they have a stewardship, accountability to those who elect them. That's what our republic is, is a representative democracy, which is different from a majority rule kind of democracy that people seem to think we are. We're not a majority rule. We are a representative republic. And by the way, the states are sovereign institutions. We are sovereign in the state of Texas. We are sovereign Mm -hmm. and we have given consent to the central government, and they work for us, not the other way around. The Constitution was written to limit government, not the people. And in the Constitution, (laughs) in the 10th Amendment, it, it, it says it very clearly that all rights that are given to the government, that are not given to the government and not said, are reserved to the states, reserved to the states. And so the, the Constitution defines very clearly what the role of the government is, and they have a limited role. And then but we've gotten away from that. Yes, and, we have. Uh, we have uh, allowed this, the government to become larger than its original intent. And what we need to do as a state is to take back those rights that we have given to them. And if you listen to what Thomas Jefferson said, he says very clearly, he says, In the Declaration of Independence, he says, governments are instituted to secure our rights. But when government becomes uh, destructive to that end, it is the right of the governed to alter or abolish it. Mm -hmm. That's right there in the Declaration of Independence. It is. And it's very clear that our rights are reserved to the states and given to us by God, natural rights, and that those rights are not given to us by some tyrannical government. They don't have the right to infringe upon those natural rights that were given to us by God. But wow. we've got to get back to the founding principles. And if we don't do that, we're going to lose this republic. Yeah, I, I, that scares me to think about it, but I believe you're right. I think we're closer to doing that than at any other time in our lifetime, if not in the entire history of the country. And, you know, especially one of the things that you listed in that uh, nice list 
of uh, 10 things that our founders gave us was the rule of law. And that one seems to be lost as well in this current culture. Even on Friday morning when the president is issuing kind of a pushback to what happened with Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned, saying that he's instructing the different um, the different branches of his administration to push back on states who are saying that they're going to enforce state laws. And so there's almost a, like a federal from the executive office of our government, a federal mandate to push back on the very uh, state that we are supposed to have as, like you said, sovereign states. Now, we are united, but every state is sovereign. It's sovereign. And um, the thing is, executive orders do not trump the Constitution. That's the bottom line. The executive orders do not trump the Constitution. That is the right. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And if he comes up with executive orders that contradicts the Constitution of the United States, who wins? Mm. The Constitution does. And that's the role of the court systems to make sure that when something is unconstitutional, they identify it as such. And when it is identified as such, the states are within the constitutional rights to uh, nullify any unconstitutional law that comes out of Washington, D.C. In fact, Federalist 78 makes it clear whenever any order comes down from the, the government that is in contradiction to the uh, Constitution, it is automatically nullified. Yes. Take a look at, at Federalist 78 and you'll see that. Pastor Stephen Broden, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm going to have to catch back, uh, check back in with you again in the future here and have you back on. I love this chat. I love your position. You remind me so much of the people that we read about back in the Founders days who were pastors who led their congregations and who helped educate them in their civic responsibilities. Thank you for doing that, sir. You bet. There's a screaming need for that right now more than ever. Boy, I agree. We'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. If you are nearing 65 years of age and need to compare Medicare supplement plans, here is great news. You can speak to a licensed professional independent insurance agent at Affordable One Insurance in Orlando. You'll find them to be so trustworthy and helpful. And at Affordable One, there is no cost or obligation for your call. Comparing plans can be confusing. Get the help you need at Affordable One. Call 407-965-4166. That's 407-965-4166. If you've considered the natural beauty of a wood floor, then go with a winner. Ability Wood Flooring has been a trusted source and family-owned and operated since 1950. Ability Wood Flooring is voted best of the best and are featured on A&E's Zombie House Flipping. Ability proudly works with Florida's top builders, winning many awards in the Parade of Homes. Get a free design consultation today. AbilityWoodFlooring.com EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. 
On the line with me right now, a second visit from Kevin McGarry. He is the co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. He's an author. He is a speaker. Uh, I, I think he's, he wouldn't say this, but I think he's a real smart guy who's got his finger on the pulse of truth in our culture right now. Welcome back to my program. Well, thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here, Mike. Man, I, re- I mean when I say that in the best. I think you are seeing things in a way that I think everyone should be, but everyone doesn't, number one. Number well, two, you have an uncanny ability, Kevin, to really kind of break down what's going on and give a biblical and right, truthful, whether a, a person's a Christian or not, when they read what you write, it's right. I mean, it's good. We need to take it to the bank. And why more people, buddy, in the world aren't seeing it the way you do? I, I, I That's why I'm glad to have you on, man. Amen. Well, I count it all joy. Uh, any particular skill sets, gifts, talents, and abilities I may possess, it's all the Father doing his great work through me. So I just thank him for it. Well, I do too. And I'm grateful that you're here sharing that with our audience here on the Shepherd Radio Network. You wrote an article and this is kind of like uh, fresh material for a lot of magazines. A lot of radio stations are reading that even as we speak. It is a bit of a rebuke or an answer to a statement made by Al Sharpton. Now, Al Sharpton is he's a name that most people would recognize that name, even if they don't know everything about him. But uh, the news media has made him a bit of a darling for the 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 African American community and the impact of of uh, racial comments, racist comments, uh, he is, seems to be in the center of all of that. And he recently made some statements that were just completely outrageous following the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Why don't you share first of all what he said, and then your answer to him. Yeah, so basically Al Sharpton, um, who I basically call a heretic and a charlatan and a derelict, but uh, I don't I don't do that ad hominem. Um, I do that, you know, just matter of factly. If you look at his what he said, what he stands for, what he does, um, you know, it just lines up. So it's not I'm not you know I'm not mean spirited towards Al. It's mm-hmm. just um, I'm just calling him what he is. Uh, but essentially, what he said is that the um, sort of white um uh, evangelical uh trump supporting uh pro life uh base that's out there right now celebrating uh, the uh supreme court reversing their uh wretched um uh, law or the the, the wretched uh, pronouncement of roe v wade 50 you know 49 years ago and they, they reversed it just recently sharpton came out and said look um you know, you pro-lifers, you, you Trump supporters, you white supremacists, whatever, whatever, whatever his ad hominems are, uh, basically saying anybody pro-life, you've hijacked the Bible and Jesus, and you're misquoting, you're misrepresenting what the Bible has said and what Jesus is standing for. And so uh, I uh, did this article because I thought that was absolutely outrageous. Fundamentally, he was trying to say that uh, abortion is of God. Oh. And should be should we should not be celebrating uh, about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And so I I addressed him emphatically in this article uh, by going to scripture, you know. And um, so I started with Jeremiah one five. It talks about 
how uh, how God says in Jeremiah one five, before I place you in your formed and place you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now that just confirms that God, by His own divine will, uh, puts each and every individual in the womb, and He not only puts them there, but He defines their uh, their destiny, mm. skills, talents, abilities, and destiny. It's before He places them in the womb, He defines what that is. This is uh, an, an abortion basically says, no, 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 no. I don't care what God's will was. I don't care what his de- supposed destiny was. Uh, I'm going to take it up on myself, and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to kill his creation. Now, uh, fundamentally, you know, the foe that is committed to killing all God's creation is really Satan. So those who would purport to do such a thing are actually acting out of demonism. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I hate to say it like that, but I mean, you know, because I, you know, I, I, I earlier in my life, I was reckless and, and cowardice, and I did these kinds of things as well. I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm post-abortive myself with, with, and I was just reckless. And so, so I understand that people may not feel like um, they're acting out of demonism, but, the, you know, the reality is they are. So, um and then I, I brought up other scriptures like Proverbs 6, uh, you know, 16 and 19. It talks about uh, what God hates, what he disdains. One of it is shedding of innocent blood. And I said, look, uh, it was always my opinion that we should always love what God loves and hate what God hates. Mm-hmm. And uh, shedding of innocent blood, obviously, is, is fundamental to abortion, right? And so I went through all of that, and then I went a little bit more into the background of abortions. It's particularly appalling for a purported civil rights leader and somebody who's supposedly against racism to stand uh, for racism in this regard. Uh, Abortion was literally created by eugenicists who really felt like, look, we don't want these other ethnicities to— uh, begin to infringe on our pure white Aryan genes. This is why it was created, folks. This is not me making up a story. Mm-hmm. I've done all the history, and you'll, if you read my book coming out in the next five weeks, you'll you'll see everything fully connected with footnotes. But this is why they created eugenics. Mm. And, uh, uh, of course, Margaret Sanger, who's the founder of Planned Parenthood, um, she uh, she started Planned Parenthood with the express intent and the specific business model to exterminate the Negro population, her words, not mine. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you know, abortion in total is white supremacist. And then with Margaret Sanger uh, as a eugenicist uh, opening up her quote unquote family planning clinics, uh, that's what they were called initially to exterminate blacks. This is this is a racist plot against blacks, and we have this guy, who, in all of his grandiose buffoonery, uh, you know, he's all in with abortion, even though it's targeted on the community that supposedly he's standing up for. It mm-hmm. makes no sense. So anyway, but he's one of many who do that. I, this is why I I just can't get it in my mind. I, why they would back up something that is so just so deadly for their own people. Yeah, let me help. So a lot of us in the community are post-abortive. And so we're always trying to uh, 
and not feel any guilt or shame or, um, you know, any, any type of, of, of bad feelings about bad decisions we may have made in the past. So we're always trying to reconcile that part. Uh, the remainder of them are ill-informed. And then you have pure ideologues. They'll just go along with anything that left this progressive Democrat. This I would consider because, you know, uh, uh, Sharpton and, and uh, Jesse Jackson, they're not uh, ill-informed. They're educated men. They're smart men. Uh, so I consider them to be just pure ideologues who mm -hmm. will just go along with the primary point of their party position. They know what they're and doing, in other words, right? They know full well what they're doing. As a matter of fact, uh, they know the whole history about Margaret Sanger. They know everything that, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood is doing to our communities and decimating the black, black populations. But they know that their um, their trough for, for their funding comes from, in large part, Planned Parenthood or associated organizations that are pro-abort. And so they have to toe the line. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, Lenin had a term for these people. And uh, I use the term. Uh, quite often these days, and I don't mean it mean in a mean spirit or despairing way. Uh, I mean it matter of fact. And so Lenin deemed people like uh, like Sharpton and and Jesse Jackson and all those other you know other black pastors that know full well what's happening here. Uh, he deemed them useful idiots and um, useful and idiots. Useful idiots. And, <sighs> and I, again, I don't mean it disparagingly. I mean it uh, like Lenin meant it. He says, "Look, you have people." that will reject their own principles and morals and, and, and uh, their fundamental stand in life and go all in with ideology. Uh, they'll basically set those things aside and go all in with ideology. These are the people mm -hmm. that we can use to our benefit. These are the useful idiots that will help us to wow. get our, uh, yeah. So that's, that's what they are. I mean, you know, <laughs> It, it, it's, it, it may sound like an evil term or that I'm, you know, talking out of turn about somebody. But, you know, basically, I'm trying to make the point that these are people that are well informed, um, but they will reject their own principles and go in with ideology, that being leftist progressive Democrat ideology, mm -hmm. um, even if it goes against fundamentally what they uh, as an individual stand for. Do you feel that any members of the black community are waking up to this process uh, people who are, are not involved in, let's say, civic leadership or m in the church or whatever, and they're, they're just feeling it. They're feeling like the rest of us are in the country, and it's it seems to be aimed at, you know, the, the people, whether regardless of what color uh, our skin would be. It, it, do you think that there is any uh, that are waking up to this? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Lord, by his grace, is, is opening eyes, and he's revealing himself and, and, and confirming his belief about these policies to people. Uh, this is work that Holy Spirit has to do, um, and, and it's really—a uh, lot of these people are so closed that, you know, you try to have a conversation with them about this stuff, and they, they won't move one iota. But uh, by God's grace, Holy Spirit doing his work, uh, people are beginning to wake up. We saw a big movement with the last election with uh, blacks and uh, Hispanics actually beginning to vote differently. Mm -hmm. I think we'll see in this election uh, even more so. And it just, it, it, it sort of confirms that people are waking up to some of these things. Now, myself and a lot of other black pastors and ministers are out there. We've been preaching against abortion for years, unapologetically, and really taking it to 
uh, our communities. And, and I think those those messages are starting to really take root, and uh, people are beginning to see um, how, how how abusive and grotesque and demonic abortion uh, was is. Bring yeah. us into what happened in you on the 24th of June when Roe v. Wade was overturned. That was a wonderful time. Uh, I was uh, actually in uh, Hawaii and Maui with my 35th anniversary with my wife. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank you. And got a call. Uh, phone started ringing off the hook. At, and, and at that time, it was like 4.30 in the morning because, you know, of course, Hawaii was three mm-hmm. hours in back of Pacific time. So it was like 4.30 in the morning, which would be 7.30 here in Pacific and, and uh, you know, around 10.30 Eastern. But um, I started to get these calls about the great news and uh, wanting to set up uh, interviews and et cetera. And I, I told my wife, I said, look, I got to get to work. This is so major. This is so important. This is so historic. Um, and uh, so she allowed me to go out on the balcony and have a number of interviews that day. It was just a uh, it was a wonderful time for me personally because of the anniversary, but it was also just an incredible time uh, witnessing uh, what the Lord had done. I really didn't think that we would see the overturning of this, especially with the uh, Supreme Court being so derelict in their judgments uh, over the past two years. I right. thought, you know, these people aren't going to, you know, they're they're so smitten with culture and they're so afraid of the mob and they're so uh, sort of bought and paid for by some power that has, uh, you know, influence over them that they're not going to do the right thing. But I I thank God that they did in this one. And uh, yeah, it was just a wonderful day. It was a wonderful day for sure. And uh, I'm grateful for people like you, Kevin, you've been standing up, as you said, you've been preaching this for years. Yeah. You are one of the many unsung heroes. And I think people are out there, Uh, starting to wake up and realize, yes, I'm so grateful now when I look back at uh, those that stood up, those that were calling out, thank you for doing that for all of those years. And this is a day, this was a day of celebration. I know you've got a couple of books. We got just enough time. Let's go through the books that you've got. We talked about Woked Up the last time. Tell us about that. How is it going? Well, so I finished everything. It's uh, currently in publishing. So within the next, I guess, five weeks, uh, it'll be in the Amazon store. You have the ability to go in there and, uh, and purchase that. It's called Woke Up, and the subtitle is Finally Putting an Axe to the Taproot of White Supremacy and Racism in America. And it goes, it, it goes directly after the woke movement. Uh, not in a sort of, uh, you know, an aggressive, hey, this is wrong. It goes after it to figure out where does it come from, why it's here, what motivates it, and all of the wokesters that are a part of it. And in order to do that, I have to go to the roots of Marxism and then Marx's own roots, which is Darwinism. Mm. And when you do a deep dive on Charles Robert Darwin and uh, all of his family, he had very influential family that people have not yet. It was my first time even being exposed to it myself. But uh, his influential family uh, members that really, you know, started all this stuff and, uh, you know, with his collaboration. 
And uh, uh, so it, it's quite illuminating. It's something that everyone should have because it gives you all of the relevant talking points. It actually literally flips the table, uh, turns the table on wokesters. It helps them to understand that, look, you're the ones that are white supremacists. You're the ones that are racist. You're the ones that are caused all of these, you know, social cultural problems. And so when they come at us, after you read this book, you'll have all of the artillery that you need in order to push back and to help bring them along with understanding truth as it relates to white supremacy and racism. I can't wait. And hopefully they will renounce and denounce their own ways after that. Man. It's going to be an important read. I need you back on the program once it comes out, and let's talk about it again when uh, that time comes. Absolutely. I'd love to do it. All right. Kevin yeah. McGarry, my guest this time around. Buddy, thank you for being with us here on The Shepherd today and uh, on my program, Afternoons with Mike. It's always a joy to talk with you, and we'll look forward to that next meeting. Pleasure is all mine, Mike. God bless you, brother. I'll look forward to it. All right. And we'll be back in a moment right here on Afternoons with Mike. Are you looking for the right franchise to open your own business? Green Flag Franchise has the experience and knowledge to help match your business plan with your goals and values. Is your business ready to become a franchise? Green Flag Franchise will help you explore the potential and benefits of franchising your existing company. For a free consultation and coaching, visit GreenFlagFranchise.com. That's GreenFlagFranchise.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. If you need help with your bookkeeping but can't afford to hire a full-time employee, The Good Books Company is your answer. The Good Books Company is a total bookkeeping solution, working with most industries and offering a free, no-obligation discovery session. The Good Books Company can help you clean up and catch up on all your bookkeeping needs. Visit them at goodbooks.com. That's goodbooks.com. Or call 321-356-0774. That's 321-356-0774. On the line with me right now for segment number three is Nina May. Nina leads Renaissance Women Productions. She has written a lot of articles that are around the whole country, uh, appeared on radio programs and TV shows, and she has uh, was there actually on ground uh, January 6th, a day that has been so misconstrued by so many. I've, uh, I've talked to a few people myself who were there, and they say that nothing that we're seeing in this uh, charade that's going on right now represents what actually happened that day. Now, we know there were some things, but here to sort that out for us, Nina, welcome to my program. Well, thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. Now, tell us a little bit about Renaissance Women's Productions, first of all. Well, we've been around for about 20 years. we started doing documentaries and TV shows. Then we moved into um, movies and then we got into serial uh, TV shows. So for example, one of our serial shows is called daily bread and it's post-apocalyptic. It's about um, solar flare knocking out electricity around the world. 
and the seven members of a cast and crew of a, of a cooking show are stranded on a farm, and they got to figure out how to survive, and then eventually how to not just survive, but how to thrive and, and um, help people around them. So it's kind of faith-based, too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's happy post-apocalyptic, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I just love the genre and uh, think that it, it's kind of fun to do something a little bit more positive, because it, they always seem to be very... Uh, negative, no hope, but this has a lot of hope in it and wonderful characters. And then we just had um, our romantic comedy called First Lady in the theaters, and it was stuck in the theaters when COVID hit. So that's now available on pretty much any platform you can go to. We've had several a documentary that we did, Emancipation, Revelation, Revolution, is the history of the civil rights movement in America, the role that both political parties have played in it, and what happens to conservative blacks who leave the liberal plantation and embrace the party of Lincoln. So, I mean, I could go on and on about all the projects and products we've got, but um, but that's basically what we do is we our producers, a production company, and we like to find undiscovered talent and give them a chance in front of and behind the camera to fulfill their God-given destiny of being in the entertainment field without having to sell their souls in Hollywood. Now, was this something that you had your eye on all along, or is this something that you kind of just fell into? Yeah, it evolved. I started in publishing uh, most of my clients were on Capitol Hill. They were congressmen. I had about 150 congressmen. We were doing the, the daily, or they're called postal patrons, uh, that we were working with. And then that moved into uh, radio. That's when I got my daily, uh, daily commentary I was doing on radio across the country. And then we started a TV show called American Renaissance. And then that led into uh, doing documentaries because we were doing shorts. And we said, well, what's the difference in a a little short piece that's five minutes and a Mm -hmm. full-length 90-minute documentary? It's just one's longer than the other. And I always go to the next step out of naivete, thinking, oh, well, if this was hard, it'll be a lot easier to do it this way. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, what was I thinking? So after doing documentaries, I said, wouldn't it be easier if we could give someone a script and they know their their part, and as a director, I know their part, and they can just say their lines, and we moved on to the next scene. So I went into it again naively, thinking it was going to be a lot easier than doing documentaries, and of course it's not. Right. <laughs> so, but but that's where we are. We're we're making movies and uh, TV series, and you know, still doing a few little docs here and there, but we just really want to be in the entertainment side of everything because it's to be honest it's actually a lot more fun now you had your cameras there on the grounds of january 6 what was the express purpose for your taping that day well because we do so many documentaries and we're constantly posting things it's all about b-roll it's all about getting those shots that you can incorporate later into mm-hmm. whatever you know product you want to do so being in the D.C. area, we knew there was going to be something fun happening. Uh, and I, fun maybe isn't the right word, but something historic. Yeah, I should right. say something historic happening. Something and exciting, thought, whether it's for a good reason or a bad one, right? Exactly. So our, our point was to go down and get some good uh, B-roll of a, um, a march in Washington, a protest in Washington. And we've covered many of them. I mean, we've been on – we've actually – when the Tea Party did their marches, I think it was – I'm sorry, it was – um, 2009, I believe it was, because it was protesting Obama's um, Obamacare thing. And so we were walked by Louis Gohmert up to the Capitol steps, not the steps, but the balcony where all this action was supposed to have happened. And we were shocked that there was not one other news group that was up there. 
And he said it's usually packed with the news people because they want to see down the, the mall all the way to the, to the Washington Monument to how many people are there. Mm-hmm. It was a ghost town up there. There was no one up there but us. So oddly, for some reason, they were not interested in covering this um, this rally. And the speaker was saying something very funny. He said, the New York Times is are claiming to covering the be covering this, and they said there's 500 people here, and this huge roar went up from the uh, from the crowd. I mean, it sounded like an airplane engine starting. There were so many people. There were 1.7 million people there. They they got the actual number of it, and they laughed. And someone at the microphone said, "There's 500 people in line for the bathroom." <laughs> okay. Right. So it was, it was just very funny. So we've been covering this stuff for a long time. No big deal. Better cameras. We have four hours of footage. And I was shocked, living it, seeing it, how it was so distorted. And people were, it, it was lying, one lie after another after another. And we keep saying, we said it from day one. We said, listen, the security cameras are going to get the truth. Let's just all gather around the security cameras and, you know, edit the, the, the truth together. And then we'll show it to the world. No harm, no foul. Nope, 14,000 hours of, of uh, security cameras they will not release. Yet they've got, I, don't, I think it's like 70 to 100 people still in jail almost two years later. It's definitely a year and a half later with no due process. No, they're not even been char- they're not been charged with anything yet. They're sitting waiting to be charged. Their due process is absolutely being denied. I mean, I, I, it's, and they're being tortured. It's just horrible, the stuff that's coming out. What, that's happening there. Julie Kelly has been following this. If anyone wants to know the details on it, look her up. I mean, she's amazing. And she, her desire is to get these people a fair trial. And remember, you're innocent to proven guilty. And this has been turned on its face. These people are guilty and they're going to have to prove their innocence, but they're not even given a trial. Now we so, know that um, these people that are in prison like that, and they're not being given due, due process, they've got families, and these family members are without a doubt going to their respective authorities in their communities, and uh, it sounds like what they're doing is they're just getting hit up against a, a brick wall. They can't go any farther yeah. than just the initial yeah. contact. Yeah, and we actually filmed, um, oh, gosh, I think it was last July, we took our crew down again there were going to be eight congressmen, and they were there at the Department of Justice giving um, – what's his name? The the guy that's the attorney general. I can't think of his name. Garland? The, yes, yes, thanks. I don't know why I can never remember his name. Anyway, giving him a letter saying they wanted to meet with the, um, uh, the prisoners that were in jail there. Mm-hmm. They were not allowed in. They, the, the guard said he'd take the letter, but the doors were locked to congressmen. Eight congressmen. And then the next day they went back to the D.C. jail to see if they just could just go directly in. They were locked out of the D.C. jail. And I'm thinking, has anyone written anything about this? Has this been on TV? No. Has anyone seen yeah. anything? The only reason we know about it, we were there filming. And the only reason we know that that was happening, one of the um, congressional offices that was going to be there, the chief of staff called us and said, hey, do you want to bring your you know camera crew down here and, and do this. We did. And we were shocked. We were shocked how these eight U.S. congressmen were being treated by the federal government. It was horrific. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if they're being treated that way, I can't even imagine how these poor prisoners are being treated. And of course, when you look at all the details, you'll find that they really have been um, abused, severely abused. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see lawsuits coming for sure. I I hope so. I hope that they are... uh 
put out where they need to go. And I hope the people are included that need to be included in all of this, because I think this is one of the most distressing things for the general populace of America is to realize that, yeah, we know that our nation has changed a lot, but this whole thing about the disregard for the rule of law, and now when it breaks down to a person uh, who happened to be there and who might now have been arrested and not given what I, all of us that grew up in the 60s and fi- I, I was born in the 50s. So I grew up in school hearing, you know, all throughout my grade school years and high school years, hearing about um, American due process and how every citizen of America is guaranteed due process under right. the law. But that exactly. is not the- happening. No, and that's what the whole civil rights um, movement was about, was making sure that blacks had equal right and equal access to the law, to the courts. And that didn't mean, okay, now that the blacks have it, now we're going to take away from conservatives or from Republicans. No, the point is that it should be equal access to the laws. The laws, no person is above the law. It should be applied across the board. And that's not what's happening. We're seeing two different versions of the law. And the fact that they can do this show trial without showing a single person on the other side, not one person who has an alternative view has been allowed to speak. It's a show trial. It's a kangaroo court. It's an embarrassment. It's absolutely an embarrassment. But the fact is they're not shutting people up. They're not shutting me up. And I've been talking about this since the beginning, because if we don't speak out about what's happening, we could be the next ones in jail. That's right. the, The key be thrown away. Because nobody really cares. Unless it's them, they don't really care. But it's like Franklin said, Benjamin Franklin said, if we don't hang together, we're going to hang separately. And that's what we're seeing now. They're just picking people off one by one, terrorizing them to the point, breaking down doors in the middle of the night to get them to shut up, to get them to be silent. And I've told everybody, I said, listen, I got my footage out immediately. There's hundreds of people, probably thousands of people now that have all my footage. And I've said, please don't break down my front door. You want something, you want my hard drive, whatever you want. I'll give you everything. I'll give you more than the federal government is giving. The federal government, again, is sitting on 14,000 hours of security camera footage, and they're not releasing it to the public. Now, yeah. what, whose door can I break down to get that? Yeah, and this is this is a very concerning time, without a doubt. And I'm praying that some things change after the midterms, where the mm-hmm. things might be managed a little differently there in D.C. Yeah. than what's yeah. going on right now. But this is just nuts. And I know that part yeah. of all of that, part of what you cover, is uh, the whole issue of of uh, the Second Amendment with guns. And these same people who are doing all the things that we're talking about would also like to remove guns from the hands of the American people. And that is a, a whole program right in and of itself. But but we've got to have you back on, Nina. You, you're, uh, your productions sound so very interesting. Give us your website where people can go and find out about these different um, productions. Um, RenaissanceWomenProductions.com. Or uh, you've got Daily Bread series. That's the post-apocalyptic dramatic series. You can do, go to FirstLadyMovie.com. That's the the, um, the romantic comedy. But if they go to RenaissanceWomenProductions.com, all of that is in there. Oh all of my our, goodness! Uh, projects. What's what are you uh, working on right now as we speak? I've got two scripts that I'm in the process of writing, and we have another one that is. Um, 
being turned in a book that we did is being turned into uh, a script. It's basically two treatments for two different movies that I rolled into a novel that we're now um, shopping to be a script. This sounds like fun. Nina May, yeah. uh, appreciate your being with us. RenaissanceWomenProductions.com or right. DailyBreadSeries.com or FirstLadyMovie.com. There you go. All Perfect. right, we've got it all down there. Nina May, thank you for being with us. And friends, you bet. My pleasure. And friends, thank you for being with us as well. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <laughs>